I'm Anya, and I spent decades compartmentalizing and suppressing the different parts of myself. I woke up at age 40 exhausted, confused, and completely out of alignment. These days, I am definitely not your run-of-the-mill bored housewife. So if you are tired of the shame narrative around sex and pleasure, and you're ready to be all facets of yourself, let's create sexual alchemy. This is a Soulfire production. Hello, everyone. Hello, hello. It is so good to be with you. I can't tell you how long this little show has been in the works. It has been on my mind. It's been in my heart for quite some time now. And it's just been a work in progress trying to figure out the right time for myself and the right time maybe for the world to start talking about these things. As you just heard in my intro, my name is Anya and I am here with all of you as a woman trying to integrate all the different boxes in my life that I have learned to splinter and segregate and silo. I am a wife. I am a mother. I am a professional. I am a daughter. I am a slut. I am a multifaceted individual who is learning that the whole of myself is much better when integrated than each of my parts separately. And I want to talk about this with you, with whomever out there has had similar journeys and wants to talk about these things alongside me and alongside other brothers and sisters in this journey and in this world. So thank you. Thank you for showing up. Thank you for being here. When I first started to conceive of sexual alchemy, of course, I didn't have a title for this show yet. But I knew I wanted to talk about the integration of spirituality and sexuality. And some people have been really confused by that notion that spirituality and sexuality do not go hand in hand. And in some of the Tantra studies that I'm doing right now, in fact, that has been the case for lots and lots of people over many, many years whereby we were taught in spiritual settings that sex is something to really only be accessed or utilized for the purpose of procreation and that it is not intended for pleasure, but it is only intended for life conceiving purposes. But I'm here to tell you that my journey over the last 44 years on this earth really tells me something differently. It tells me that as a whole person that is made up of many different parts, as a person who has a soul that I believe has incarnated over and over and over and over again throughout the years, the hundreds of years, the thousands of years, I believe that my sexuality is core to my being and that my sexuality and my spirituality are intertwined in a way that if I had to make them separate, 
I would be bifurcated and split off from my whole self. And it's a complicated topic to unpack. And we will be spending lots of time doing that throughout the coming conversations and episodes, whether they just be conversations that I am having with you, my listeners, or whether they will be conversations with people who join us on the journey. There's a lot to dig into. But I think before we can start jumping in to those conversations, I think giving an introduction to me, to who I am, I think is important. And I think it's incredibly relevant to the conversations that we're going to be having. So in this episode today, it really is going to be about my journey to when I got to the point a few years ago that I knew that I needed to integrate these two parts of myself to make peace with them together and to find wholeness together. And so today we'll probably be talking about, you know, the first 40 years of my life and then and then that moment when I hit 40 where I felt so splintered and I also felt so alone and I knew something needed to shift. So today we'll say part one, years zero through 40. And I grew up, I grew up in a home in the Midwest with two parents that are still together today. They've been married over 50 years. I had one set of grandparents who were married their entire, you know, adult lives together. I had another set of grandparents who had less of an easy path together. My grandmother on my maternal side was married three times. Uh, My grandfather was married twice. And I had a number of step-grandfathers in there and a step-grandmother. And so I saw a lot of different family containers as I grew up. And they were very different from one another. On one hand, I had on my paternal side a very religious, a very faithful in its religious expression and identity side of the family, very steeped in tradition, very earnest in their faith practices. And that was a very formative experience for me growing up. I was raised within the church community that my father and his family had been in forever. And it was a very loving setting, but yet still, there was a lot of teachings of right and wrong, shoulds and shouldn'ts, black and white, and there was very little room for discussion outside of those boxes. And there was always an an air of unsafety, if you will for people who wanted to explore life out of the boxes that that faith provided. And on the other hand, I had on my maternal side, a family who had been, you know, kind of their genesis was in the South in the U.S. They were migrant workers. They moved up to the Midwest to work in a factory 
that was a very different family dynamic than what I saw on my paternal side. My maternal side, they definitely would would have been considered more worldly. I think that there was some church in their lives, but it was more, let's say we live this way, but let's really live the way that we want. There was a lot of alcohol. There was a lot of what my paternal side of the family would have considered to be fast living. You know, lots of dancing, lots of drinking. And there was a lot of poverty. And I think that that family system was just quite different than what my father's side of the family brought to the table. So when my parents met, I think perhaps my mom probably was considered to be a really wonderful young woman. My parents met when they were in high school. Yet still, I think my dad's family probably considered her to be from the wrong side of the tracks. They grew up in a very small town and they dated from high school on. They got married in college. And and so I grew up in this duality of existence, watching, you know, the way my mom's family kind of lived their lives. I saw lots of divorce. I saw lots of children out of wedlock. I saw lots of stepchildren, stepparents. I saw lots of alcoholism, probably drug abuse. And then I had this pious side of my family that was, you know, very prayerful, very quiet, very unboastful, and very earnest in their commitment to the church and to living life in a very traditional way. And I always felt like a fish out of water where I grew up. I grew up in a town that was very, very small. There were about 900 people there. And in that town of 900 people, I think there were six or seven churches. So you can tell that it was an incredibly religious community. And all the other small towns around were very similar to that. Yet I found myself as a pretty young kid exploring parts of myself that I was not taught about and that I was certainly not encouraged to explore. And by that, I mean, I remember discovering masturbation at a really young age. I know that I was home. I was old enough to be home from school alone. I wasn't feeling well that day. My mom let me stay home alone. And I remember discovering, you know, what I will call and what you'll get used to hearing me talk about on the show is, you know, my pussy. I love that word. I know it makes some people cringe, but we're just going to go ahead and throw it out there. And I discovered my pussy that day. And I remember feeling so good and feeling so bad all at the same time. I felt so guilty, but I couldn't stop touching myself. And I had a blanket over myself just in case somebody came home. And I thought for sure that when everybody got home that day, after I made sure I scrubbed my hands clean and clean from the smell of myself, I remember thinking, they're going to look at me and they're going to know. They're going to know that I found my pussy and that I was touching myself under this blanket. They're not going to want to sit in this couch because they're going to know what I was doing on it. And so I knew that part of myself existed and I certainly was not done exploring her. And over the course of the coming years, she and I, she and I played a lot together. And then on top of that, 
I was, I was also a child who was not really tempted to not follow the rules. I was very much a rules follower. I felt like it was my pathway to heaven. And I certainly wasn't going to be caught on the wrong side of that equation. So I very much followed the rules into high school. I never really was somebody who drank. I certainly wasn't somebody who smoked. I think I tried a few cigarettes here and there. Um, but it just, it, the appeal wasn't there. And so I remember that I kind of pledged to, um, drive my friends. If they decided to go to parties, I would be the designated driver. And I did the same thing when I finally had a boyfriend, I believe we started dating my junior year of high school. And He'd been, you know, one of my best friends since elementary school, but I, of course, had had a huge crush on him. And we started dating and and we definitely started exploring physically, fooling around, that sort of thing. Pretty quick, but we waited a while. I can't quite remember the timeline, but I do know that we waited a while to start having the conversation about sex. And I was just so terribly conflicted. I was probably... 17 at the time, I'm guessing that we started this conversation and probably we had sex for the first time when I was 17. And I loved being physical. I loved the way everything felt. Yet there was still this other side of me that knew with certainty that if I had sex with this boy, I would have to marry him and that my life would be over and that I definitely was never going to get out of this small town. And I desperately wanted to get out of the small town. So, you know, push came to shove one night. We were alone fooling around in his bedroom at his parents' house. And I've really struggled over the years with whether or not to consider that sex consensual or not. Because what I can tell you is that my mind and my body well, they were probably screaming different things. My body absolutely was screaming, yes, 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 I want this. And my mind and my guilt complex were screaming no. And I was crying and crying because I didn't know what to do because I knew I wanted to, but I knew I shouldn't. And at the end of the day, you know, we did end up having sex that night and I was crying the whole time. And so you look at that situation and you're like, that's, that's pretty fucked up. You're crying. You want to, but you don't. And you do it anyway. And interestingly enough, the timing of that event was such that the very next day was a Sunday. And I was getting baptized at church. And I grew up in a, in a religious community where children weren't baptized, babies weren't baptized. You had to make that choice when you were older. And so I was, you know, 16, 17 years old, say, I think I was 17 and getting baptized. I remember, you know, the things that you can remember about formative experiences in your life. And I know that my parents had bought me a new suit, like a skirt and jacket suit to get baptized in. And it was silk. And I remember crying at my baptism because for sure I was already going to hell. So why am I getting baptized? Because I had had sex the night before. So I was for sure going to hell. And I had all these plans that I wanted to go to college away from this small town. And I knew I had to stay there and marry this boy. And I look back at that young woman and I just think, how fucked up are we in this world 
to leave our young people feeling this way, to leave them feeling that they are dirty and disposable and that their sex is wrong and that their pleasure is wrong and that anything you do to indulge it is dirty and gross and immoral. And I just have so much compassion and love for her. And I have compassion and love for the fact that she had to go through the next number of years trying to figure out whether she was raped or whether she wanted it. And that wasn't the only time that she had to make decisions and she felt really complicated about them. So you go from that experience, you move on, you know, eventually I still did go to college I did not marry that boy. We went back and forth over the relationship for a few years. But ultimately, I had other boyfriends. I had other sex partners. And at some point, I stopped feeling dirty and bad about it. But I still wasn't about to tell the truth about it, right? It's one thing to understand and know and have an inner knowing for yourself that I like physical pleasure. I embrace the word slut. And I hadn't actually embraced that word yet then. But I knew that I liked physical touch and I liked intimacy. And I embraced that to a certain extent, but I couldn't necessarily embrace it wholeheartedly in the terms of sharing it with friends and being open in my conversation about it. So I go from that experience in high school. I go off to college. I go to a religious college all within the same faith community where everybody is still drinking, smoking, and having sex behind closed doors and inside of boxes so that nobody knows about it, right? And it's still something that's incredibly judged and looked at with scorn. And I remember, you know, having sex with my boyfriend in college and really enjoying it. And I remember him, he had been with lots of women already at that point, but he was like holding out on me because he didn't want to be the one to corrupt me. And I was like, I'm already corrupted. <laughs> um, and it's just so crazy how we talk about ourselves that way, right? He didn't want to corrupt me. I communicated to him that I'd already been corrupted. And so then, you know, we were able to start our sexual journey together in that way. And then he and I eventually broke up did some more back and forth between him and the high school ex-boyfriend until the point where I met my first husband. And my first husband was also an incredibly sexual being. And he had explored a lot, but he had never allowed himself to have intercourse. And so he definitely considered himself a virgin. And it's crazy now to me to look back on it, but we met when I was 20 and he was 19. And he turned 20, I think, soon after we met. Anyway, then we proceeded to spend the first two years of our dating relationship not having sex, trying to save it, trying to save it, trying to save it for marriage. And I look back on that now and I just think, you know, when we finally did decide to have sex, it was very beautiful. I, you know, I don't judge that. I, I, I look back on it and I know that it was, it was fine. It was great the way that we chose that. But because of the buildup that we put around sex and because of the way we both had been raised in this religious community, 
to feel as though sex was, you know, dirty and wrong and that indulging in it meant that you were incredibly sinful. That really set the stage for how fucked up our relationship would be with one another. And I have a recollection. I'm sure if he were sitting here, uh, that would be an interesting conversation. Maybe someday we can have him on and we can talk about it. But, you know, we would both probably tell the stories about our marriage really differently. And needless to say, he is not still my husband. We ended up splitting up. um, I guess it was right about 10 years ago. And, you know, our marriage in my mind at any point in time until the last few years, if you would have asked me why our marriage would have ended, I would have told you it's because he was unfaithful. He cheated on me while I was pregnant. He cheated on me after I had our son and who knows how many times he cheated on me throughout the course of our marriage. Um, but that's, that's the story I would have told. I would have said it ended because of that. And I look back now and I know, yeah, of course, to the woman that was in the position at the time, that's still probably why we got divorced. But when I look at it now and I see how damaged we both came to the relationship in terms of our relationship with our own sexuality and to each other's sexuality, that relationship ended for a host of lots of reasons. You know, we probably weren't super compatible given the desires that we both had at the time. I was not very in touch with myself. I was living a very um, traditional existence. I felt very strongly about becoming a career woman and going to law school, becoming a lawyer, having a very particular path and career laid out for me. I had very traditional ideas about what family looked like and how we would be raising our child. And he always had a spirit and soul that was quite different than mine. (laughs) And it's not fair for me to tell his story, but I can say that in the time that we have been apart, we have both become much more of who we are. And it's interesting to me because if he knew what my life looked like today in terms of my own sexuality and how I embrace it and how I practice it and the relationship I have with my amazing husband, I think he would have his mind blown. And I think he'd be like, why couldn't you have been like that back then? We probably could have made it work. (laughs) But I look at it and I'm thinking we could never have been this together. You know, when, when we both came to the relationship so sexually repressed in order to get to the place that I am today, we both would have had to be growing and expanding in similar ways at similar times. And that just simply didn't happen. It wasn't meant to be that way. And, you know, I know very little about his life today. We still uh, co-parent and share the son that we have together, but I don't know anything really about his personal life and nor is it any of my business. But I would imagine that we've both had to do a lot of coming to terms with things over the years that we haven't been together. And it would be interesting, right, to kind of have that conversation. But nonetheless, that that is where that marriage ended. You know, we did not have a dynamic sex life. I didn't feel like we really connected on that level the way that I thought I wanted to in my mind. And I'm sure he probably thought he wanted to as well. But Neither one of us, I don't think, felt very safe expressing ourselves in in our marriage container in a sexual way. 
And I was not really ever even able to admit to myself how much I wanted to get my freak on and how I wanted to go about that. And obviously he felt the need to shelter and hide his sexual desires for other people because, you know, that was not something he was doing out in the open. It was something he was hiding and doing. And so I think about all of those years of my life, you know, I don't want to say wasted. I believe that we are all here for a purpose and on a path. And I don't believe in regrets. I don't believe that time is wasted. But it is interesting to me how much time and energy was spent spinning and turning and worrying about my sexual identity, his sexual identity, what was going on in our life, and and how much effort was put to hiding it, and how much effort was put into repressing it. And it has only been in the last few years that I have learned that the more open I can be with myself and the more open I can be with my husband, the more beautiful our relationship becomes, the deeper it becomes. But that didn't ever feel like an option or a priority before. And so I entered my 40s in the midst of a bit of a sexual revolution for myself. Because after my marriage ended, I was maybe 34. And I went through a pretty dark time, you know, as I was trying to recover from the loss of that relationship and trying to figure out how to single mother my way through life. I, there was about a year where I just felt like I was underground. I didn't recognize myself as a human being, let alone a sexual being. And when I started to come out of that cocoon a year after my marriage imploded, I found myself entering into the realm of sexual freedom. And I simultaneously didn't know what to do with myself, but I also didn't know how to stop myself. I found myself seeking and enjoying pleasure in places that I never anticipated and never thought that I would. I got comfortable with, I think it was probably about then that I started to embrace the terminology of slut and and understand that I was a highly sexual being and that I had turned it off my whole life and that it was time, it was time to turn it back on. And being sexually free lit me up. It made me feel alive in ways that I hadn't recognized before, but I still wasn't quite ready to give it a voice. And I wasn't able to really feel empowered in my sexual freedom yet. And that still didn't come for a few years. I was expressing myself that way, but on the inside, I was a very sad shell of a human being. You know, I felt very unworthy. I felt like my body didn't deserve to be respected. I felt as though I had been discarded garbage because my marriage didn't work. And obviously, I didn't know how to please or keep someone happy. And so I allowed my worth to start getting wrapped up in what kind of pleasure I could give others. And 
what I could what I could receive from others. And what that turned out to feel like to me was for a number of years, I was willing to take any scraps that any man that I was interested in would throw at me. And I look at her too now and I think how sad I am for her and I mourn for her because of course that part of me was not garbage, had not been discarded, was worthy of so much more than scraps and really allowed herself to be in relationships where she was never truly cared for where she was never really tended to and where she was absolutely never seen in her wholeness. And so through all of those years, I was living in all these different boxes. You ask my parents, they would have seen me as this pious, pristine daughter, only daughter, you know, lawyer, educated woman, strong, They felt so devastated for me when I went through my divorce, but they were so proud of me for what they thought they saw me coming through on the other side. And they had no idea how terrible I felt about myself and how much self-loathing there was going on inside of me. If you would have asked my colleagues, they would have looked at me and said, this woman has her shit together. She is amazing at her job. She is unstoppable. And yet still inside, I felt so useless and I felt like such an imposter. And I felt like, when are they going to realize that the jig is up and that they see me for who I really am? And yet still there were more boxes, boxes that I had in my friendships, people who I didn't want to see the real me and how sad this person truly was. The box that I lived in as a single mother with my son and how I needed to put on a face for him and show him how amazing and strong I was. The juncture of turning 40 for me was truly a rebirth. And what I mean by that is I was on a trip with my son. We went to Hawaii for my 40th birthday, just he and I. We took an, we you know took the plunge and had an adventure. We flew out there. I rented a car. I got a couple of different Airbnbs, and it felt so freeing to learn to be myself on that trip with him, and to take off my masks and to remove the barriers, and to learn that it was okay that I was just learning how to do it. That it was okay to be taking a stab at living life truly for the first time at age 40. And I no longer felt like a failure and I no longer felt broken. And I made some promises to myself on that trip to say no more. I'm not going to live in the shadows like this anymore. I'm going to be me. I'm going to be me unapologetically. I'm going to learn how to be an integrated person. And I'm going to learn how to be whole. And I am going to learn what lights me up. And I'm going to live my life accordingly. And that doesn't mean (laughs) that I came home from that trip doing all of those things. 
but thus began the journey, right? And we all have those moments. We all have those wake-up calls. We all have the opportunity to truly begin life in a way that feels aligned for ourselves. And you might call it a midlife crisis. I know many do. I am certain that people look at me and some of the choices I've made over the last few years with puzzlement (laughs) and just think, oh, she's just going through a midlife crisis. And you know, that's okay. I am getting to the point where it is much less important to me what others think of me as it is how I feel I'm living. And if I'm living in alignment as myself, I feel that I don't really have to care or hold on to what it is others may expect from me and what others may think I should be doing. And I am just so excited to be here now and to start having these conversations of everyday people who are going through their own sexual alchemy, people who are learning how to integrate and embrace their sexual self with who they are as a spiritual being. And when I say a spiritual being, I believe that we all have a spirit within our own self that we are responsible to live in alignment with. And for me, my sexuality is incredibly intertwined with my spirit. And I am so curious to talk to all of you out there who feel like there's resonance with that. And so here we go. We're going to start this journey together. We're going to create sexual alchemy together. We are going to learn what it means to embrace and live a wholehearted life and how we can do that in the world that really rewards us for not doing so. Thank you for your time. And next time we'll pick up where I've left off today with that trip of coming home from Hawaii with my son and making a pledge to myself that I was going to to live as a whole being moving forward. And I look forward to getting into the rest of that story and then getting into all of your stories with you. 